Pete, we obviously talk a lot about anxiety on this podcast. It's in the title. We have been known to go in that direction, yeah. Yeah, uh, but for the cold open this week, I wanted to slightly pivot to anxiety's relation to fear itself. And I may have stumbled across something slightly interesting. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I'm not too sure about this one. Last week, if you remember, we talked about our adorable fear of lakes because we're both ridiculous people, and we both realized that some of our fears might come from horror films and fiction, mm, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, The Raft. Now, in a horror film, I'm going to quiz you. I, I'm almost certain you will know the answer to this, as will most of the audience, but in a horror film, there are always scenes where the protagonist is slowly walking through a scary landscape, like a dark mm-hmm. hallway or a creepy carnival, and the music is all nervous violins, and everything is in shadows, and then boom! Either a cat jumps out or a jerk with an axe falls from the ceiling uh, to start attacking and whatever. What do people in the horror movie industry call that type of scare? Well, that that Tom would be a jump scare. And I just realized I said a cat jumps out. (laughs) I kind of gave it up in the. Well, all right. You're fine. You're doing fine. Correct. It is called a jump scare. And I think in just poking around about fear and anxiety like a creep, I think I stumbled across the scientific term for a jump scare. Really? Yeah. It's called a fear potentiated startle. (laughs) And I enjoy saying that one. You just a fear potentiated startle. You just made jump scares really lame. Right. (laughs) Guess what? It's going to get lamer. Uh, In a general fear response, uh, so generally for how fear works is the amygdala is stimulated and either the fight or flight mode is initiated. But how this comes into jump scare, it's that part of potentiated. It's the process of potentiation. Potentiation when your fear response is amplified because you're already in a state of anxiety. So if you're already goosey, again, that's the technical term. If you're already goosey, then you're primed, of course, for a bigger scare. That's the point of the nervous violins and all the shadows. To prime you. Exactly. Uh, If you're watching a documentary about ants, and why would you, uh, any kind of tickle on your neck, like by your sweater or something, will startle you and make you jump out of your seat. If you're afraid of tail strikes, (laughs) even the slightest (laughs) turbulence during takeoff, this is really all about me, huh? Yeah, yeah, We'll push your blood pressure, you know, through the roof. Yeah. Is that an interesting thing to know? It's a fear-potentiated startle. I don't think... uh, you know, most directors would like to say, and then we'll hit him with a fear potentiated <laughs> startle. But I kind of like accidentally stumbling on what could be the scientific term for it. Well, it makes me want to take on more horror movies because now I feel like that's just BS. Like I can take a fear potentiated startle. Right. I can take anything. <laughs> exactly. When you really break it. Yeah. So I guess when you're watching a horror movie with your friends or your loved ones and they jump out of their seat when something scary happens, you can now turn to them and say that that is a fear potentiated startle. And then you can look forward to getting a divorce or new friends because you will sound like a jerk. Hit it. That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay, now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Welcome to What's That Smell? A sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. And every week we drag out one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. You should probably let us hear from you. Here's how to do it. Send an email to somethingstinky at rashpixel.fm. And you can let us know about your anxieties and see if any of our anxieties connect with your anxieties and we'll have a little anxiety party. That'll be great fun. (laughs) That party sounds terrible. (laughs) With that, I've got something to tell you about. Tom, uh, oh, this sounds promising. I'm, a, I'm a, <laughs> <laughs> really exhale right into the mic. I am a 
middle-aged white man, Tom. Mm. Hooray! If I were a milk carton, that carton would be white with black, bold, aerial type. And perhaps the type has assorted weights, maybe a fine print, but it would be the most generic milk carton that you could mm. find. Oh. Right? Okay. okay. I I am uh, uh, heterosexual. I am married to a woman. I have never really considered a broader romantic or sexual relationship with a man. My life in this regard has been remarkable only insofar as it has been remarkably simple. Right. And and predictable and stereotyped. OK. Uh, but now I'm, I'm a parent of two white kids, <laughs> you know, and yep. even though they are white kids of my breeding, they exist in a world that is remarkable in how expansive it is. Mm. It's not full of white milk cartons with black aerial type. It's oh, full sure. of decorative milk cartons and milks of varieties and whole milks and reduced fat milks and pasteurized milk and juices there are juices oh, oh juices of all sorts of fruits and vegetables oh. and i don't understand it <laughs> i don't understand all the juices and i'm i'm a little bit terrified of them the juices and i i i think it, it's uh -oh. and i should say this is we're going to talk about social anxiety again mm, okay uh and we've we've talked about it a little bit before because of you and your crazy 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 friend and and uh, but but this is a little bit different because my anxiety around these things it's it's not because of i'm you know scared of what juice represents uh, it, it's because I am weirdly, deeply afraid that I am not welcoming them into my life well enough. Do you know? Okay. And now I can relax because this whole time, just 1% of me was like afraid you'd go, why can't we just go back to white milk? <laughs> USA, USA. And I'd be like, well, Pete, gotta go. <laughs> this, this episode is a watch. <laughs> okay. I see what you're saying. Dealing with this brave new world. Of diversity. Yeah, I get how how you how you might have gone that route. Yeah, I'm so sorry. When you were scared of when you were scared of the juices, I was like, okay, yes, yeah. <laughs> Mark no, the time code. The, it's a funny feeling, right? Because I, you know, I I feel like I'm just not able to communicate that I I have a deep desire to learn and to understand and not to offend anyone in my effort uh -huh. to do all this learning and understanding. But wow, does this trigger my social anxiety? So I, I go huh. into these situations where I am confronted by uh, all of the juices and milks and I'm, I'm just shunted to silence thinking if I open my mouth, I'm going to embarrass myself or someone I care about like my family. So I better not open my mouth. And, and I had this conversation with my daughter over dinner okay. because she has a very diverse social group and it is wonderful. She has, um, you know, she's she's got uh, a couple of trans friends there. One of them is dating another one of her other friends. And they're and mm -hmm. I have to admit, when I started hearing all of the different words that she was using, I didn't know what many of them meant describing oh, how they okay. define themselves. And it puts me into this place of real distance because I'm, I'm not able to relate because I don't understand the language and I've never had to. And I, I think there's a funny thing that goes on right now that some of the reaction that 
that may be perceived, you know, when we're in the media, we, we watch this perception of uh, from equal rights groups that we're just not uh, we're not aware, we're not woke, whatever. Uh, there's a perception that we're actively against their efforts. And, and that is just not my case. My case is it's not your case. R- right. right. Exactly. Right. I, I have never spent any time really being put in a position where I had to think about them. I just haven't. I've been thinking about other things. And now I have to think about, you know, all of these different things. So let's talk about race for a second first. Right. OK. I, I pretty much have this under control, but it was super rocky. <laughs> <laughs> really? Because, oh, my God, I'm, I'm really embarrassed to even talk about it. I guess that's why we do this stupid show. Right. I grew up in a very white neighborhood, right? When I went sure. to a very white school, it was just, we were homogeneous. It's just what we were. Yep. Uh, I didn't have a choice in the matter. It's just what I knew. The first opportunity I had to meet a black guy, I was straight up Bradley Whitford in Get Out. Oh, no. Oh. You dr- I... <laughs> It was super. Oh, you mean you were? You mean yeah. the first part of Bradley? Oh, Whitford, yeah. Where he's yeah. like overcompensating, not the yes. other part where he sells him. To no, someone. no, okay, that good. was not the other part. But you know what? That, like, yeah. like that movie. I related to that movie in a big way because mm. I, you know, I feel like uh, relating to um, you know other races, not just black, but black and Asian and, and Hispanic. Like, I feel like I there is a whole language I deeply want to learn to be able to relate. And like you were talking about, um, you know, in in a past. show, Show, feeling like as soon as conversation stops, you're you're being judged. For me, that really falls into play, uh, hmm. you know, when when talking and, and engaging with people of, of other races. And I want to be I, I want to be accepted. And, and that is a deep lizard brain feeling yeah. uh, that that I now feel like I, I'm, you know, as an adult, I feel like I'm, I'm in a, a diverse community and it has been a, a great relief to feel release and have some very dear friends who are not sure. middle-aged white people uh, and and feel connected to them. Well, because what it sounds like you're saying is that you want to be accepted, but you also very much want them to know that you accept them. Yes. On, even, yes. That's, that's the best thing about what you're saying is that a lot of people take that type of anxiety or fear and unfortunately dig in and say, I didn't have to think about it before, so why now? Yeah, yeah. You're being trapped in a prison of the exact opposite. <laughs> it's completely <laughs> of your own making. And you're so you're so wanting to reach out and be so inclusive that instead you stand in the corner and rock back and forth. <laughs> I have uh, family members that I have noticed, say, if we're like on a trip or something and checking out of a hotel, they will say, thank you, thank you, thanks, my man. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell the difference between the three people? Right. <laughs> and it's it's coming out of love. I mean, obviously, yeah. they're a little bit older. And so, you know, that's just sort of how they are trying to relate. It is it's tough. But, you know, like I said, I I've moved past a lot of this stuff. Sure. And, and now it's all about trying to trying to relate to people who are super important to me. Uh, and and I want them to feel welcoming in my home. I want them to feel welcome. Like I understand them. And yet I know that issues of gender identity versus gender expression are things that I I was not raised to internalize, to understand. Sure. And that causes me, that is the new version of my existential social anxiety struggle. Uh, and mm-hmm. it, it's it, it's a tough one. And so I've been looking into this and it turns out there are so many new words, Tom. There's so <laughs> many new words. Okay. 
I believe it. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, let, let's just say. You got say some I, examples? Well, you know, I have some, uh, the top examples, and I would say the Human re- human Rights Campaign is so great, and they have a fantastic mm-hmm. uh, glossary of terms with a thousand words. But for me, I, honest to God, I did not understand the difference between gender identity and gender expression, uh, right. and it, let alone, you know, adding sens- sexual orientation to that. I mean, is this something that you have internalized? Do you know how all this works? The mechanics? I do not, but I've been trying my best to learn. There you go. Well, look at how woke we are. <laughs> we are so woke. Uh, no, I've been trying to just because, you know, I also I, I work with fifth graders in yeah. a number of different schools and some of these kind of different expressions and identities are starting earlier and earlier. And God love it for that. I mean, I can see how this could seem to older Americans as scary or weird or they're just looking for attention or anything like that of course because it's new i'm not saying you're saying that at all but i know that for a lot of people this is probably you know the country is moving forward very very fast yeah and as a result a lot of the country is responding to that by wanting to hit the brakes um and this has happened over and over again throughout american history it's always two steps forward a big step back when we're dealing with actually identifying and relating and including different people with differences yeah but i mean it's so thrilling for any anxiety that i do feel sometimes about misstepping saying the wrong thing it's so amazing that i mean for how many years people like this didn't have any voice didn't have any words would just be thrown into a pile of freaks that didn't fit in at all, where a lot of people were. I mean, homosexuals were that way yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and so it's so incredible to have this sort of multifaceted way of taking control of your identity and sort of deciding how you want to do it. I, I read a really, uh, what I am categorizing as a hateful uh, bit of commentary on on this. And I can't, I, honestly, I can't remember where it was from. And, but, uh, I, I'm sure it will sound familiar to people out there uh, who have any interest in this stuff, which was, uh, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, why are there so many trans kids like in, in middle school and high school? All of a sudden, it's, it's such a trend. Oh, it's so trendy to be trans. You know, why are there so many? And the response, which I thought was actually brilliant, uh, was mm. because all of them have fewer of you to be afraid of today. <laughs> and, and I think, sure. right? I mean, that just that hits yeah. home in a in a wonderful new way. So um, I I never I was never able to really internalize the difference between gender identity and gender expression. Right, the internal mm-hmm. uh, concept of male and female uh, or a blend. Uh, there was no such thing as a blend when I grew up. That's not what I got. And right. That was milk. Just it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and gender expression, the external appearance of, of gender identity, that those things are, are different. And I'm, I feel like I'm just habituating the understanding that those two things uh, can be different and totally normal. That I I can walk around the high school corridors with my daughter and, and I'm. I'm only just now, after several years now of trying to do this kind of internal processing, I can look at and, and not be surprised. And that that feels really good. But I, I feel like I and need are to you talking s- about the difference between identity and expression. Yeah. Yeah. Right. In part of that. What would you mind explaining it to the audience? What you have figured out? I mean, I we shouldn't assume that everyone that's listening, there's probably a lot of people that are like you and yeah, understandably no, so. And I we're like that, me yeah. until very recently. 
Yes. Very recently. I hope so. I, in I, no way yeah. am I standing on any kind of a post being like, oh, Pete, well, you're, it's uh, all you're, love. Like, I'm figuring it out, too. No, no, no. You're a little holier than thou. Let's just be straight. You're better than me. I don't mean That's to That's okay. <laughs> we can move through be. it. I will be your pupil. <laughs> <laughs> but please. Well, it, you know, you... so, okay. So the big term sexual orientation is the is, is what we grew up with, right? Th- those are the mm-hmm. words we grew up with. And that is the uh, the emotional, romantic or, or sexual attraction to other people. And there was mm-hmm. heterosexual and there was homosexual. And that's where the discussion ended. And, uh, you know, in our time growing up as kids, uh, you know, we grew up through a lot of dissent around homosexuality. I happen to be raised in a family that was, you know, progressive about these things, but we certainly never talked about it. Sure. It was just, uh, you know, it was there. Uh, but this, right now we have gender identity, which is the the internal concept of self, right, as male, female, or or a blend. This was the key learning, and again, this is in the Human Rights Campaign's website, uh, that gender identity can be the same, or different from their sex, which was assigned Mm -hmm. at birth. Identity is different than sex. And and that is a really important thing that I think people in my cohort, people who also struggle with this sort of social anxiety, don't get. If you don't have that, it's hard to wrap your head around it. It's hard to, you can definitely sympathize. It's hard to empathize with something like that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Well, wait, was that the gross way to, that was the right way to say that, right? (laughs) <laughs> See now I'm having the anxiety, right? Now See I'm how having easy the it exact is? anxiety the that hole. you just said. Yeah, it's hard to put yourself. It's hard for me personally to put myself in that person's shoes and yeah. say I was born blank instead I identify as the opposite or a fluid in between that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it sounds. I'm so glad because I mean, how serious and how schizophrenic must that make you feel if you don't have a voice or anyone around that understands? That that's how you feel. Well, and that gets to gender expression, which is the external appearance of gender identity. So you have this internal concept of how you you believe yourself to be male, female or blend. And then and how you express it externally through behavior and clothing and haircut and voice and all of those those sort of external, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, markers uh, that is wrapped up as gender expression. Right. And, And that's a different thing. Than identity right. that was and has been and continues to be complicated for me to wrap my head around. Let me go ahead and advertise my ignorance. Would someone would there be a reason for someone to, let's say, be born male, self-identify as a female, but then dress expression wise as a male? Well, now, of course, I'm going to need you to say that again. <laughs> OK, it's sort of it, it's like an ABA. You're born male. But you self-identify inside as a female, but then for whichever reason you choose to express your outward dress as a male. Yeah. Born male, identify female, express male. Dress male. Well, isn't that technically closeted? In some way, shape, or form, isn't that what we're talking it about? It was, but it doesn't have to be. Anymore, it doesn't have I to guess. be. And that is yeah. that is where we get to transgender. Right. Where okay. and, and that is apparently a much larger term than I ever thought it to be. Uh, it is, again, according to HRC, an umbrella term for people whose gender identity and or expression is different from cultural expectations based on the sex they were assigned at birth. So it doesn't matter how mm-hmm. you express if it's different from what you were assigned at birth, you're trans. 
and and this is the other thing that I think is important. Trans is not connected to sexual orientation. That trans people can be gay, straight, lesbian, bisexual, whatever. Right. That that what we're talking about here is how they identify in their own skin and where they're most comfortable in their own skin. And that also could be different just because, you know, you're a male I, expressing as female. You could be lesbian is what right. is what we're saying. And that is all about what you feel most comfortable and safe. And so clearly I'm saying this as if I know a lot about it. I really don't. I, I really don't. And I just uh, it has been illuminating to try to keep up with conversations with my daughter who knows already so much more than I do. Uh, and just because of her social group and the fact that they finally in their school feel safe and open enough to to, you know, be who they are. And uh, so I, I'm 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 proud of her. I'm honestly a little bit proud of me. I'm proud of your anxiety. I'm super anxious about it. Yeah. But I'm really I'm proud of that because it's not anxious of the world is moving too fast and everyone stop and just go back to being boys and girls and milk that that's not your anxiety at all. It's right to have anxiety if you are if your anxiety is based in not wanting to hurt or accidentally demean someone or make them feel less included or anything. That's a good problem to have. Well, I'm not saying it's not a problem, but that's a really good problem to have. I'll be your hero today. Maybe not tomorrow, but today I'll be your hero. <laughs> Look, I have to add this other. This is like a little bonus tag to this conversation because, yeah. uh, and I should say, I, I <laughs> took this blues pilgrimage uh, to the Delta Blues Triangle, the Mississippi Delta, and mm. we traveled around there. And I took a lot of photos. It was a, a wonderful trip. But let me tell you, never have, have I felt more like a middle-aged white guy than there. And that's that was a transformative experience for me, uh, being sure. put in a position where I was the absolute economic, racial, uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, I was the minority in every way you could possibly say it. And uh, uh, it was I, I've never felt more welcomed into a community uh, than these little tiny, tiny, you know, former plantations uh, that welcomed us and fed us and treated us so, so well from the seat mm. of, in many cases, deep poverty. It is it, it is humbling and shaming uh, to even have this conversation here on this beautiful computer and screen and microphone. Right. Uh, and and um, so to say it's anything less than transformative is, is that. But here's an interesting thing. I ran across a cross-ethnic comparison of lifetime prevalence of rates of anxiety disorders. Do you know what that means? Oh, yeah, it's a paper. No, that was a lot of words. Yeah, I read a journal article. Like a like a real really? smart guy. Yeah, I did. I did. And I just have one thing to say. Uh, this is an article of wonderful uh, study where they interviewed thousands and thousands of people. And it turns out this social anxiety that I experience, it's because I'm white. And in fact, black people hmm. and Hispanics and Asians, especially if you want to not have social anxiety, you want to be Asian uh, compared to white people. Uh, this study really? points out that white people, with the exception of PTSD, lead the charge for social anxiety. <laughs> and, really? Yes. Yeah. And huh. so uh, but the the only thing uh, the, the only area specific anxiety related to uh, uh, to connected to race where um, African-Americans beat white people uh is ptsd so uh and and that is also a shame let's not say african-americans beat white people let's just have it again. <laughs> come on 
now is the time to be as delicate with language as we possibly can. You know what? It's their turn. I I can't win (laughs) this. You just exemplified exactly my problem, Tom. I can't win. So, African Americans have more PTSD than uh, white Americans. I'm really huh. sorry about that because then it gets into such huge questions about, uh, you know, socioeconomic uh, availability of care uh, in areas where uh, that are that are underserved. And that's a lot of what uh, some of this article uh, uh, deals with this journal article. So uh, many, many thanks to uh, authors. There are so many authors, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that they did this. I actually have a story kind of like yours a little bit. Well, not like yours, but you were talking about your blues uh, trip that my parents and I uh, a couple of years ago went. We have family in Florida, and we went on a trip to an actual ex-slavery plantation mm-hmm. um, that is now just opened for history. And they have guides that'll take you around, show you where everybody lived, and all the work that they did. Uh, and it was my family, which are all white, and then an African American family, uh, two mother, father, kid, mother, father, kid on both sides. And throughout the, we learned that really what we needed to do was all just have a really big hug at the start of it, because the entire time, the entire tour, every time the uh, docent would make any kind of a joke, we'd go, huh? And then we'd sort of stare at each other. <laughs> like, I'd look at them. They'd look at us. Uh, every time there was a door to go through, it was a no after you off. Like, I'm surprised we ever got through a door. It's like, please, after you. No, it's fine after you. <laughs> they were so obviously trying to say, we know it's not you. Not all white people are the worst. And while we're desperately trying to say, we're sorry, we're white. <laughs> we're not the worst. Without talking. And it was the most polite hour i've ever spent with people trying to outdo themselves to be <laughs> so polite and so nice that i wonder how we ever got out of there uh but it ended up being a great experience oh, but that definitely goodness. is a part of that anxiety of but on the side of not you're different than me but just because of our differences i desperately want you to know that that is not important to me well, and the social anxiety is just because of our, your, our differences i i desperately want to understand you know, and and right. communicate as much. And the anxiety is, I may get weird about it. Right, exactly. <laughs> Where would the white people live? Yeah, like the, like <laughs> dumb things you can say on a plantation. Like, right. tell me more about tea, and they'd be like, okay, <laughs> the worst. <laughs> Have you heard of the sad story of Robert Williams? Uh, no. Should I have? I, probably not. Uh, it's kind of a footnote in history, but there is something kind of important about it uh, that relates to my anxiety this week. Oh, outstanding. Robert Williams was born on May 2nd, 1953, and for most of his young adult life, he worked at the Ford Motor Company factory in Flat Rock, Michigan. And on January 25th, 1979, I guess that would make him just about 26 years old, Williams was overseeing a robot that was designed to move material from one part of the factory to the other. And Mr. Williams noticed that the robot was running very slowly. And so, unfortunately, he climbed into the storage rack to retrieve parts manually. It was there that he was struck in the head by the arm of the one-ton production line robot and was killed instantly. This is your fear of technology, isn't it? He would go down in history as the first recorded human killed by a robot. There we go. Yes. I'm separating it from technology. It's Because robots. that is a separate one. Robophobia. 
is an anxiety <laughs> disorder in which the sufferer has an irrational fear of robots, drones, robot-like mechanics, or artificial intelligence. Real quick, after uh, Mr. Williams died, just two years later, a Japanese engineer named Kenji Yurata was at a Kawasaki Heavy Industries plant. He was working on a broken robot, and when he failed to turn it off completely, it pushed him into a grinding machine with its arm. Gross. Now see... Okay. Now see, <laughs> look at this to me. How quickly I come to the defense of robots. <laughs> well, he, here's the thing: is one might assume that when I bring up robots, that I am scared of them. What do you usually get worried about? Yeah, right. I mean, there's the uprising, right? Like it, that that robots are going to rise up and and right, right, gaining sentience. Yeah, right, right, right. I yes. robot kind of stuff. What's slightly interesting about me is I am less interesting than that because I don't even need them to gain sentience to give to have robots <laughs> give me exist. a little bit, a little bit because yeah. I don't need them to become the Terminator. I'm not yet yet worried about robots gaining sentience. It's more about the fact that you can't reason with a robot who has been programmed to do a mission. Right. It has no eyes. You can see compassion in. There's no reasoning with it. It's been programmed with a mission. Something to do, and either through a very human user error or just a glitch, it will complete its mission with no ability of empathy, sympathy, or the ability to, you know, read any gray areas involved with human emotion and judgment. Yeah. Something right. about that is really deeply unsettling to me. Yes. You're much more of a technophile than I am, so you probably might not have this kind of you see robots as good in the future yeah but let's you know I, i'll tell you where okay do you have more because i have some i have stuff on this i i really do i've got material sure uh well, what do you i mean let's let's just go ahead and talk about it what do you got do you know about the trolley problem oh i do know about the trolley problem yes but i never thought of that as a robot issue but i guess it is okay go ahead what's the trolley problem? so the trolley problem uh you you have this trolley on the tracks and you are in charge of the switch Right, you're in charge of the switch between two tracks. The the, the we're we're at a uh, a switch where the train could go one direction or it could go the other direction, and you're in charge of making that decision. Now you have one person tied up on one side of the track. So if the train goes in that direction, it could kill. It will kill absolutely that one person. So if you pull the switch, you'll kill the person. If you don't pull the switch, it will kill five people that are on the main track. Why are all these people on track? I wonder about that, but we're not going to we're not going to get hung up oh. on that right now. No, there are people who are going to die and you get to choose through inaction or action how many are going to die by this. So this is an ethics problem. And it has come up in uh in robotics, particularly in AI. And that is where my concern is. That's how I'm sort of connecting to your anxiety here. Okay. When you have a the these manufacturers who are making self-driving cars who have to be able to consider the trolley problem, essentially, right? They have to be able to say, okay, I see one person if I swerve left, or I could careen into that shopping mall if I swerve right to save the passenger who's in the car, right? Whose life is more valuable? The person who paid the ticket to the car, to buy the car? Does Mercedes get to make a self-driving car that will protect its owner at all rights and kill people indiscriminately to do that? Those kinds of questions are super huge. Ah. And, and they scare the crap out of me. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that you think that you buy a ticket to buy a car. <laughs> that's that's also interesting. <laughs> I guess you've never really bought a car yourself. <laughs> it's, it's, 
it's not really like a raffle, but I get it. I get what you're saying. Uh, so I think about that a lot. I think about that a lot. And it, it really yes. does scare me because it actually has it, it plays out in information dynamics, too. Right. Because, um, you know what? It, we're, we're seeing more and more uh, computers making decisions about the kinds of news that gets broadcast. Right. You have these applications that are creating news videos of clips from social media and repurposing them. And without human intervention, uh, at what point do these computers make choices that are actually damaging to humanity uh and and so and it doesn't have to yeah. be an uprising yeah it can just be this is what the algorithm means we've seen i mean what i also wanted to get into is a lot of this involves the military and i'm so back and forth about it with our use of drones and every once in a while on youtube there'll be some nightmare robot dog and i'm like Ugh, i don't oh, care for it the ones that but like where, the, yeah, you can push them and they get back or they don't fall over they'll do flips yeah, and so stuff. when they don't oh. push oh I always feel bad for the robot there, weirdly. Anyways, uh, that armed forces robots doing the job of our armed forces is seems like a great idea because it would keep actual human lives out of harm's way. But the hubris to think that we are able to, again, this has nothing to do with sentience, just glitches, just the idea that sending a robot army into a place in order to try to take something down or contain something is terrifying to me. Because we already we've already seen recently, somewhat recently, with the Stuxnet worm mm -hmm. in Iran, which you know no one has really copped to, but where the United States and Israel created this sort of virus in order to take down a nuclear plant in Iran, and it's immediately went out of control, and it's affected so much of the world's computers, right? Because right. we can't control it, we can't really think that we know what we're doing, which is the basis of almost every sci-fi and horror movie is we think we know what we're doing. And it's always for a good cause. But then when we take the control out from ourselves and give it to a robot, there's something really scary about that. I mean, you can't, as I said before, you can't reason with a robot or explain how a mistake has been made. I fear what drones are already doing to us. I guess a lot of this goes with the military, how much, how easier it must be to lob missiles from the sky when there's no human life on our side involved. That's scary. That just makes things the things that get a little bit more like a video game that take you away from seeing another person on the ground. Of course, I want to save all of our soldiers lives, but there becomes something very chilling and very impersonal about that. I and wonder. You, that's a that's an interesting. It's, I, I've always found that to be a really interesting ethical question, right? That we're we yeah. are doing the right thing for the human lives at stake in war by by removing them. from. I mean, I, I think you can make a very strong case for that. And yeah. I think you can make an equally strong case that there is greater incentive for peace when human lives are actually at stake in war. And yes, and that is a thing that has always bothered me uh, about our new mechanical uh, mechanical warfare. If you're not with the enemy, it's so easy to just demonize them. Yeah, they become faceless. Right. Yeah. Uh, and robots will definitely help us do that. <laughs> It'll be we'll be pressing a button and hoping nothing glitches. Do you know what happened on March 8th of this year? Um, no, <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> Walmart. Applied for a patent for drone pollinators, robot <sighs> bees. This was in a Black Mirror episode, Pete. Oh, my God. That they would fill in because, you know, bees are, bee populations are shrinking rapidly. We know that. And uh, it's probably because of pesticides. We're not exactly sure why, but it's a really big problem. I don't know if the solution is Walmart making robot <laughs> bees. Because <laughs> Walmart is who I want to be in charge of robots. <laughs> 
Israel and the United States military complex could not handle one little computer worm they put out. But absolutely, Walmart, be it up. <laughs> that oh sounds goodness. terrible. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here, Tommy. Pretty much. Now I'm really starting to think that my dog might be a robot. <laughs> I'm kind of getting into that idea. Okay, so last question. Do you yeah. have any fear uh, about the potential? You know, I and, and I, I am truly divided on this subject in my mind. Do you have any fear of the potential uh, and, and clear path to economic disruption that in the short to medium term that we're seeing with, uh, you know, robotics. Oh, I totally have so many thoughts about it. Why don't you start? <laughs> well, I got it scared with, by that question. It starts with jobs, right? I mean, that's, that is honestly one of oh, the things automation. that people are, you know, yes. uh, robots lead to automation, lead to dissociating humans from jobs, not just military, yes. but it, it wreaks economic havoc. As smart as these, you know, robots and technologies are, what is that? Is there, is there a sense of, again, existential fear about what it could do to our economy because I think that's also a big deal. Very much so. And it, and we, I don't know if the people that are in power that are pushing for these things, they're probably not listening to people that know what it will. I mean, self-driving cars sounds great or self-driving trucks like we saw in Logan, uh, delivery trucks. If you make all the trucks that are delivering uh, self-driving, entire towns will crumble because they're based in truckers stopping there. You will lose so many small businesses you will change uh, gas stations. I mean, so many more people. It's not just like the truckers are going to lose their jobs. So many other people are going to be. And I don't know if people really walk that through. Is if we do this, great. Instead, I just always think about it uh, when I guiltily use the self-checkout at my grocery store. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it just, you got to work it out. But I don't know. I mean, down that path leads to, yeah, a lot of, again, to use the same word, chilling ramifications that can happen. Yeah, I tend to be more of a of an optimist on that stuff and in just sort of the ability to, yep. you know, retrain and that jobs will change in these small towns. They'll need more people with, you know, who can be engineers and people who can, you know, help support the autonomous technology that comes through these towns. I don't know uh, what that looks like, but I tend to be more of an optimist in, in those areas. Um, but I, I clearly don't, I, I mean, I'm, I'm so distant from practical right. application of that stuff. There's I, that, God, what was that my, minority report future of just calling the car to your house when you need it and your wall opens up and suddenly you're, in it what? <laughs> that was not in the minority, report. minority report what was that movie <laughs> what was that uh what was that movie where they oh, why can't i think of it now where they, they he, there's on these ramps and the road he goes up and he's suddenly there's a window that opens up and he steps out of his little pod car and he's in this car that's what i want the pod car that just comes to my house and i can step in it when i need to go someplace and then i get out yeah well this new screenplay you're working on sounds dynamite <laughs> Because I don't think that's sort of an amalgamation of a bunch of movies. But yeah, I'm going to find it. I'm, I'm going to find that, it and you're going to feel real bad about this conversation. OK, I'm just glad that we'll always have coal. Stick around for a glimpse into next week's show. But first, 
Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Guys, you should go to Audible right now and get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from from your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Now, all right, I've been looking through my Audible library, and I have been looking for something deep and heartfelt and sensitive to recommend based uh, on the things we have talked about today, and I certainly have one oh. for for mine. I am very excited uh, to recommend Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates, a series of essays and stories that he writes to his adolescent son about how to mm. handle uh, living in uh, a, a, a racial America, and it is an amazing, uh, amazing set of essays and stories, and read by the author uh, just makes it that much more special. Uh, so I highly recommend Between the World and Me, and I have a bonus recommendation, Tom. What? Oh, hold on, though. I'm excited about the first one because I had never heard of that book, and I'm absolutely going to check it out on Audible. So thank you very much for recommending that. Oh, yeah. And you have a bonus? I have a bonus, and it's for you, Tom. It's for you. What? I need you to learn the three laws of robotics, Tom. You're going to do it with Isaac Asimov's iRobot, narrated by, I think, the single best male narrator in Audible. His name is Scott Brick. Scott Brick. If there's oh, anybody that I wish were my uh, audio uncle... Uh, it would be Scott Brick. <laughs> I love him, man. He's He oh. reads all the best books. And so uh, you should go listen to iRobot. It is a classic of uh, robotic uprisings. You should definitely read it. Don't see the Will Smith movie. Do yourself a favor. Read the book. Don't be a savage. Learn the rules of robotics. <laughs> They're all in there. I did not murder him. Right? <laughs> Is that the same movie that you told everyone not to watch? <laughs> Don't see that movie, Tom. I will read the book instead. For you, no, I won't. I'll listen to it. For you, the listeners of What's That Smell, Audible is offering a free Audible download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Again, visit www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Today's tune is Rock This Joint by Yanivi. We don't pay to advertise this show, everybody, so we appreciate you sharing it with others you think would be interested. If you, you don't want Audible, that's fine. You don't have to support the show through Audible. But it, it, because we're a new show, uh, those five-star reviews in iTunes and Apple Podcasts really help others to discover the show. So if you like what you've heard, please share the love with a review and a comment or, or uh, uh, share it on Facebook. Let people know uh, that we're out there. We could really use your help. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. And now, coming up next week, but Pete, Lady Love, Cool James. You gotta, you gotta get your LL Cool J in there. Italians, as a rule, are a good-looking people. Sure. This what? Year. You're not a doctor? But <laughs> oh my god, this whole thing is a lie. Okay. Duh. Ah, gluten. Ah. What? Gluten. Because. Gluten. <laughs> Until then, I'm Tommy Metz the Third. I'm Pete Wright. Thanks for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell? I mean, he. there were self-driving cars very much in Minority Report. He had to jump out of one. It got repurposed and was taking him to the police station. So he had to jump out of it. So he lost control of his own car. But he didn't...
it didn't pull up. We, there was never a scene where it pulled up to his house and he just sort of got in. So I'm trying to think of what you were thinking of. <gasps> Wait a minute. It was minority. It's totally minority report. I'm looking oh, at no. it on YouTube. He, the car what? wheels up to his, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Suck what? it. Wait, but you said it goes into his house. You just watch right, this clip. On. This is exactly what I imagined. Oh, no, I blew it. Well, that's not Minority Report, and there were no ants in Old Boy. Oh, sh! <laughs> I totally don't remember this scene. 